Psalm chapter 23. And we stand as just a sign of respect when we read God's word. And it says this in Psalm chapter 23. I hope that we're familiar with this psalm by now. Um, and we're, we're going to be in this psalm probably just for two more weeks. Maybe, maybe one. <coughs> we'll see how it goes. Um, but we're almost done with this psalm. We've been taking it pretty much a verse at a time. And I hope that it's been encouraging to your hearts. So stand with me as I read aloud Psalm chapter 23. It says this. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. Join me one more time in prayer before I begin to expound on this passage. Almighty God, <coughs> you are our shepherd our Father, and you've carefully provided for all of us. Oh God, that, that we, your people, would be reminded of your favors. God, I pray that we would not provoke your anger. God, on the contrary, let us be gently ruled by your kind word. And as your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, has been set over us, as our one and only true and good shepherd, we pray now that we would hear his voice, that we would willingly and gladly obey him so that we might be able to triumph. <coughs> your staff, your word, is sufficient for us. It enables us to walk without fear through the valley of the shadow of death until at last we might arrive at our blessed and eternal rest, which was obtained for us by the blood of your precious Son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray now. Amen. <clears throat> what a wonderful time to gather this morning. It is finally spring. At least it feels like it now, doesn't it? We feel the warmth on our skin, and we are reminded of new life. And it's built into nature that God is a God of restoration. So now we turn to Psalm chapter 23, and if you'll allow me um, for the next, hopefully around 30 minutes, to expound on this passage, let's be mindful, let's remember that verses 1 through 3, we've already been through those and um, hopefully expounded those well, but they painted this calming picture of a sheepfold under the care of a shepherd. In particular, it painted the calming a, a picture of a sheep. The Lord is my shepherd under the care of a shepherd. <clears throat> and doesn't this resonate with us? Those of us that were just tired, uh, our faith often is just small. It's challenged on every front. And just, just reading this provides this picture of calm 
that Jesus in his word provokes. It's like a sip of just cold water for our weary souls. And why does it provide this comfort? I think it does because it doesn't pretend that the way of the Christian is easy. It's very optimistic. But if you sort of read between the lines, the implications is that the way of the Christian is difficult. It says he makes me to lie down in green pastures. Well, that presumes that we become weary and that we need to lie down. He leads me beside still waters. Well, why do, why do we need to drink? Because we get thirsty and parched. So it presumes thirst along the way. He restores our soul. It presumes injury, fatigue, the need of restoration. It paints this picture that for the Christian, that life in the Christian walk is not easy. It's fatiguing. It's difficult we become hungry and famished. So that's why I think this optimistic psalm also comes along with this implication of of weariness in the Christian way. You know that the book of Psalms is a book of songs from start to finish. It's called the Psalter. More than that, though, the book of Psalms is a book of prayer. It's It's the Bible's prayer book. There's a lot of different denominations out there, the Anglican Church, the Episcopalian Church, the Roman Catholic Church, kind of like the older, kind of more structured churches, oftentimes will have what they call um, books of common prayer, right? This is the Bible's book of common prayer. The book of, of Psalms is a book of songs, but it's a book of prayer, a book, therefore, of restoration, of the heart's weary soul dipping into the water of restoration that only God's word can provide. You know that Psalm 23 in particular is a is a obvious song of trust in God. And so because of that, it's a confession of faith. Let me explain to you what I mean. Christianity has many known and popular confessions of faith. Oftentimes we use these um, when someone becomes baptized, they're new Christians, or maybe, maybe they've been Christians for a while, but they've just never been baptized, so they confess their faith. Uh, at Refuge Church, we use the Apostles' Creed as a confession, and it states, this is who I am now, and this is what I believe. So it says, I believe in God the Father, the Almighty Maker of heaven and earth. We all know and love and cherish that creed. How about the Nicene Creed or the Belgic Confession? There are all these different sort of confessions that we we, we learn and understand and proclaim. Might I seg- suggest to you a very simple confession? Let's call it the shepherd's confession. So we might ask in our curriculum, our catechism, if you would call it that, you know, catechism, ask questions and then answers those questions. So we might ask the question, friends, church, who is the Lord? And you might say, in response, together, the Lord is my shepherd. I know we're not, that, we're not a call and response kind of church, but let's try that again. Church, friends, say it with me out loud. Friends, who is the Lord? The Lord is my shepherd. What a marvelous reassurance for us, his little lambs that so need his care and love and protection. The voice of the Lord Jesus speaking here to a deep human need, the need to be loved and the need to be cared for, hope in the midst of darkness. The constant claim of Scripture is that the Lord Jesus Christ, 
is our rock. He is the supporting arms of those who trust him. Our refuge. That's the name of our church. That's why we named it this. The shepherd's community of sheep in scripture. Who are the sheepfold? Let's ask that question. It's important. All throughout the Old Testament, we see that the Bible refers to the sheepfold as the nation of Israel, God's people. So the shepherd's community of sheep in the Old Testament is the nation of Israel. It refers to Israel both in bondage as, as you remember when they were in bondage um, as slaves in Egypt, but also later on, even after that, they were let go, and they ended up in captivity in places like Assyria and Babylon. And the Old Testament constantly reminds God's people, the sheepfold, what he promises to them. In the midst of exile, in the midst of slavery, in the midst of wilderness wanderings, which all transfers to the experience of God's people in the New Testament, which is his church. And we read the same comfort in, in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11, addressing the nation of Israel in this, difficult, in this difficulty as we do in Psalm 23. And it reads this, He tends his flock Israel like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms, and he carries them close to his heart and gently leads those that have young. Oh, friends, the Holy One of Israel, the Lord is his name. He is the only God, and he is our shepherd. He promises to provide for you, to direct you, to protect you, and care for you if indeed you are his sheep, and you are his sheep by repentant faith in the salvation of Jesus Christ. You know, Mary claimed this herself. Mother Mary, when she said, oh, he has regarded the lowliness of his handmaiden, his servant. Mary saw herself in deep need and desperation. And when she looked to the hills and saw Yahweh, the Lord, the shepherd, she knew that she had been regarded by him, saved by him, rescued, loved. Oh, do you see the Lord with the same eyes of faith? That's the, that's the state of all human beings lost in sin, captured in a world torn apart under sin's curse. We are all lowly, all of us. I think it's odd in verse 1. One, one scholar noted this, and I thought it was a good observation. He said, it simply says, I shall not want. There's no object to the verb. I shall not want what? I shall not want money. I shall not want a home, health. It says it, says it just like this again in Nehemiah chapter 9. There's only two places where there's no object to this verb. It's here in Psalm 23, and it's Nehemiah chapter 9. So there's this principle of interpreting Scripture, interpret Scripture with Scripture. We find the only other place that it says this in Nehemiah chapter 9. It helps us understand what Psalm 23 is getting at. It says... In, Psalm, in Nehemiah 9, 40 years you sustained them in the wilderness, and they did not lack. So here is this reference now to Israel for 40 years wandering around in the wilderness. Our, our situation as Christians is likened to the wilderness wanderings of Israel. It said they did not lack, but they did not lack what? 
Israel wandered for 40 years with no home. They didn't lack. They lacked everything. Of course they lacked. They lacked a home. They lacked security. They lacked stability. They lacked economy. They lacked everything that we all desire as Americans. They didn't know where they were going or what dangers awaited them. You see, their lack, though, was only a shadow. It seemed as if they lacked. Because when they did lack, you know what happened? Food fell from heaven because the Lord is our shepherd. Rocks burst with water because the Lord is our shepherd. Seas divided in two when marauding armies attacked because the Lord is our shepherd. Oh, you can have everything, friends, that this world has to offer. You can have everything. But without Christ, without the Lord, you have absolutely nothing. You see, that's the point. Oh, and it's true in reverse, too. You can lack everything that this world has to offer, but if you have Jesus Christ, you have everything. You have everything that you need. You have the Lord that cracks rocks in two and gives you water from dryness. You have a Lord that takes bread, only two loaves, splits them in two and feeds 5,000. That's the Lord. The Lord is your shepherd. That's all you need. Oh, in the shadow of death, the Lord was with Israel in the wilderness. And in this shadow of death today, in 2020, the Lord is with his people. He is with you. You are not alone. They lack nothing. And we lack nothing because of the risen Savior that we put our faith in, Jesus Christ. He, he, and here is the reality of what we call the Christian life. We walk daily, every single day, through the shadow of death. The, shepherd's, the shepherd king's provision, his direction, his care and protection does not change the fact that the Christian experience is one of a shadow of death. But through it, he's with us so that we lack nothing. Now I want to talk about this a little bit more. It's to this that we now turn, death's dark shadow. There is, first, in this implied, the inevitability of danger in the Christian life. Martin Luther once wrote, commenting on, on Psalm chapter 23, he said, to be the Lord's sheep means, by default, that we are surrounded by danger. Oh, that's not the good news we were hoping for this morning, was it? The opening lines of Psalm 23, he notes, are this, the Lord is my shepherd and I shall lack no good thing. But here it reads, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Friends, this is the exact opposite of lacking no good thing. This is a very, very bad thing. What's going on here? In the shadow of death, we lack lots of good things. We have darkness so that we lack light. We have enemies so that we lack friends. We have anxiety so that we are, lack comfort and hope. We lack companionship so that we are lonely. Everything is black and dark to the eye. 
And friends, is this not often true of the pilgrimage that we call Christianity? The sheep of Jesus oftentimes experience the loneliness and the darkness and isolation, the cost of discipleship. We ask oftentimes, like it says in Psalm chapter 13, how long will you forget me, Lord, forever? We can endure persecutions and exile. And oftentimes the world views us as just weirdos or dangerous. So often in life, we face these pressures. It feels like this is just not true. I don't lack. I don't have everything. I do lack. I don't have everything I need. It feels like we lack absolutely everything. Yet we are assured in Psalm chapter 23 that we are walking through the shadow of death. It is not our home. We do not lay a foundation in the shadow of death. It is something that we are passing through, and there's the hope. It's not the end. It is a means to an end. It will pass. It is not death itself. It's the shadow of death. Outside of faith in Jesus Christ, death is not a shadow. It is a substance. It is the reality. It is all that we have. But inside of Jesus Christ, the only thing about death that touches us is not death itself, but death's shadow. I heard this wonderful illustration from a pastor um, and, a, and a Bible scholar from the 1950s, and his name was Donald Gray Barnhouse. His wife tragically had died, and shortly after her, after her passing, he's walking along the street um, with his son, and who, was a, who was a young boy at the time, and they were discussing death and what had happened to his mom. And, and Dr. Barnhouse explained to his young son that death for the Christian is like being touched by the shadow of a thing, not by the actual thing. And he explained to him, as a, bus drove by, as a bus drove by, he said, son, you see how the bus drove by us? The bus didn't touch us, only the shadow of the bus touched us. You see, friends, for the Christian, the shadow of death touches us, not death itself. We walk through it, pass it safely like those three Hebrew boys, remember in the Old Testament, who were thrown into the fire, but they were passed through it. They were not consumed by it because there was another in the fire. Jesus Christ was with them. The shadow of death for the Christian includes loss, doesn't it? We lose this world too like everyone else does and it's hard and it's not easy and it should cause pain and tears we lose the ones we love, our health, and we leave behind everything that we have, everything that we've accumulated. But we lose only a shadow. We don't lose the substance because for the Christian, while we lose this world, we don't lose the one who made it. And we get everything back restored to us in perfection when Christ returns. On the other side, death's dark shadow is gone. It shades our skin no longer. It's finished. And there we only stand in the light and in the full view of the perfect love of the shepherd king. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Oh, we lose the gift, but we gain the giver. We lose this world, but he makes a new one. We are surrounded 
by distress and sadness and disease. We say with Paul these words. Oh, like he said in the New Testament, I have been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, more severely flogged is like beaten with rods. I, I have been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received 40, 40 lashes, minus one, 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. In other words, the ship went down and he's floating for a night and a day. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, endangered from bandits, endangered from my fellow Jews, endangered from Gentiles, endangered from the city, endangered in the country, endangered at sea. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. But we lack nothing. I shall lack nothing. Oh, the sheepfold, we know a heartache. The shadow of death abides, but for a short time. Our, our temptations are numerous. Our lot in life is often troubling. We stare down the jaws of death, but we fear no evil. Evil abounds, but we fear it not. The Lord, the creator of heaven and earth, the comforter and king, the helper, uh, the helper of humanity, the one to whom all creation is subject all rulers and angels and devils and sickness and disease and death. He rules over it all, and he has all this in his power so that we can fear no evil because like his little sheep in our repentant faith in Christ, he is with us. And that is our present power, thirdly. Or secondly, for you are with me. That's our power, to fear not. One scholar, Patrick Miller, calls this phrase in Psalm chapter 23 the gospel kernel of the Old Testament. That is, you are with me. That quote is the gospel kernel of the Old Testament. He is with us to save us. Let me explain. It is the good news that turns our tears into shouts of joy and laughter that God is with us. And we see here that God is faithful to his covenant promise of love. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, he promised through Abraham to bless the nations through his seed, which is Jesus Christ. And because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he is with his people to save them from their sin so that we don't have to fear. Because we have the assurance of the shepherd king, God Almighty, that he will deliver us through all the very deaths we die. Every single kind of death that you die in this life will be resurrected. In the deepest shadows of existence, he says, he is with us to save us. The deepest shadows of existence. Oh, existence can be dark. But let us remember in that darkness that it is not the end and it will pass. And he will escort us to eternal life, carrying us like little lambs in his arms. Whatever happens to you, Christian friend, he's with you. Whatever happens to you, happens to him. Because at the cross of Jesus Christ, he took on all our pain and suffering and sin. All the destruction of this world and all the loss of this world, he took on himself. So whatever happens to you, it happens to him too. Your deaths are his deaths. Your divorce is his. 
You lost your child, he lost his. You lost your job, that's his loss too. Your deaths are his deaths, your pains are his pains. Your sin is laid on him and his victory is your crown. Believe it. You know that they, they, the name of Jesus Christ that they give him in the New Testament is Emmanuel? You know what Emmanuel means? God with us. You know the name of Jesus, the, the name Jesus itself, that's the more popular one that we know more well? You know what that means? It means he will save us. God is, so let's put those together. God is with us to save us. Isn't that great? The name of Jesus Christ is God is with us to save us. We don't deserve that. That's a gracious gift. We have sinned against God. God should be with us to smush us under his big foot. But he's not because God is love. And he loves us and he loves to save us. God is with us to save us. And here is our, thirdly, our concluding comfort. It says this, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. It calls this declaration, this confession of faith, that, that God is our shepherd, with us to save us. It calls this a rod and staff, which comforts. That which comforts us, the rod and staff of the shepherd king, is this abiding presence to save. It's the word of God, believed and proclaimed in your hearing. Oh, do you hear it, friend? Do you hear this rod and this staff? Is it sweet to your ears? Is it for you a comfort and reassurance of his love and promise? Do you think about his word day and night? Meditate on it like the psalmist in Psalm chapter 1. Is it for you like purified silver? In Psalm chapter 12, sweeter than the honeycomb. In Psalm chapter 119, is it a lamp to your feet, a light to your path? Or has the message of this world, the rod and staff of this world, of our own thinking, taken over? Oh, friend, I hope that this morning it's, that it's to his word you cling and not your own, and that you're lifted up again the way that we evaluate life, the conclusions that we draw are so often lies until we see the light of the word of God shining bright. It's that word that strengthens us, comforts us, redeems us from the pit. The rod and the staff of the shepherd does this for us and more. You know, rods and staffs of shepherds guide sheep. They kind of make them go down the right way, shows them the way to go. You know, the word of God shows us the way to go. So they gui it guides us. It corrects sheep that are obstinate. Sometimes they need a little, little poke because <laughs> they're going out of the way. It also protects sheep from predators. Oh, and friends, such is the word of God. When you believe it and trust it and obey it, such is its power in our lives. Hebrews chapter 4, for the word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes 
of the heart. 2 Timothy chapter 3, all scripture is God-breathed. The Bible is God's word, in other words. It's spoken by him. All scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So sometimes it corrects us, it pokes us like that staff. But it trains us in righteousness, helps us grow, matures us, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Uh, Martin Luther once said so, so profoundly, there is no other way or counsel on earth to get rid of all kinds of temptation than this, that a man cast all his cares upon God, take him at his word of grace, hold fast to it, and never let it be taken from him. Oh, I hope this morning that the word of God is this to you. Do you know what it says? Do you know what God says in his word? Do you think about it? Do you know what he speaks about himself, what he's like, what he's done? Do you know what he says about you if you're his child by faith? Do you know, do you know what he says about your, your destiny if you don't know him? Oh, do you know what you really need? We think we know what we need, but do you know what you really need? See, the Lord will guide us with the rod and staff of his word. Do you know the truth? Oh, or do you believe and rehearse just the racing of your own mind? How we evaluate situations and judge motivations of people's hearts. We decide what's going to happen to us in two months from now or a year. You see, we need the rod and staff of God's word to remind us that we don't have the final say. We don't hold our own lot. The Lord does because he's our shepherd. There's a rod and a staff in this world that's a burden, and it's not a comfort. There's a different word, in other words, that we believe, that we turn to for guidance, help, and protection, but it ends up laying on us a deep misery. Uh, we, we can call the, this the rod and staff of religion. It's the burden of rules that we always fall short of. See, there's a difference between Christianity and religion. Oftentimes, they get confused because oftentimes people come in the name of Jesus, but they're really just religious people. They're trying to keep a set of rules to prove that they're awesome or to make up for things that they've done wrong. That's religion, and no one can keep up that pace. The burden of rules we can't keep, it brings on us the burden of guilt and sin. And that's the burden of religion. To keep up the pace, to do the right thing, to be good, to make our wrongs right, so that we can make it up to God. That's religion, that's not Christianity. Oh, how we fail and we know it. The staff of religion is no comfort. And you say, oh, I'm not religious, I'm not a Christian, but oh, friend, don't you have another, another form of religion? Another word, another rod and staff, maybe that comes from our culture, or teachers, or parents? We might have a different set of rules and commandments and laws, but we still have them, and nonetheless, we break them just as often. To be smart enough, to be sexy enough, to be skinny enough, athletic enough, kind enough, tolerant enough, you fill in the blank, we still fall short of all of them. It is a burden we can't, we can't carry ourselves. There is only one word that comforts, 
and it is the word of the shepherd king. It is the word of grace. It is come to me, all you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will save you. I will carry you through the shadow of death. I'll fight the fight that you can't. That is the word of the gospel. And let me close with this. That's the good news. The Lord is with you to save you if you would simply stop trying to save yourself and you would simply trust him as Lord and Savior. That you would take the mess of your life, the sin of your life, the brokenness of your life, that you would acknowledge it as an offense to God and say, God, save me from this. You can pay for it. I can't. Trust in Christ. If you don't already, stop trying to prove yourself and to save yourself. We have sinned against God and man. We are in deaths, in the jaws of death. But Jesus became death on a cross, rose again, so that we could be forgiven, loved, dressed, and delivered through to his eternal love and life on the other side. Oh, and if you're a Christian already, is death's dark shadow darkening your skin this morning? Is it heavy? Hold up the banner of Christ and his promise. Remember the rod and staff of his comfort that he is with you to save you, to see you through. And he will indeed. His word abides true. It's not the end of the story. His rod and staff comforts. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, oh, how we love you. Oh, how you love us. We deserve none of this. But you give it to all of us by grace through faith. God, we thank you, Lord, that there is another in the fire that we walk through the shadow of death, that it is not our home, that there is no foundation stone there for the Christian. It's a journey that you carry us through because you're with us. So God, we thank you for the hope of eternal life. We thank you for the strong arms of Jesus Christ that defeated death for us. God, help us to love you, to love your word, to read your word, to think through your word, to pray your word, because it is our rod and staff. It corrects our faulty thinking, our judgments, the lies that we believe about you, about ourselves, about the, the world that we live in. Oh, God, help us to surrender to your goodness and to your kindness. We thank you so much, Lord, for this time that we get to spend together. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.